there, and welcome to the All Day Digital Podcast, where we talk to industry executives and thought leaders to get their perspective on a wide range of factors shaping the communications industry. This podcast is brought to you by CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Group, and I am your host, Jeff Johnston. On today's episode, we get to hear from two great guests. Carrie Bennett is a communication policy expert with the Rural Wireless Association and a partner with Womble Bond Dickinson. John Nettles is the president of Pine Belt Wireless. They share their thoughts on the Secure and Trusted Communications Network Reimbursement Program, which is causing headaches for rural operators, and it's becoming a national security threat to all U.S. telecom operators. By way of background, Three years ago, the federal government passed a law that required U.S. communication operators to remove from their networks all non-compliant equipment. This was to address national security concerns about untrusted equipment. Congress appropriated $1.9 billion to cover the expected initial cost of the program, but it turns out that was well short of the actual funding needed. At Pine Belt Wireless, John is now dealing with all sorts of uncertainty and it's wreaking havoc on his ability to service customers with their critical communication needs, manage his network, and comply with the law. So, without any further ado, pitter-patter, let's hear what Carrie and John have to say. Carrie and John, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Great to be here, Jeff. Thanks. So, Carrie, I'd like to start with you, and maybe you could give us a high-level overview of what the Secure and Trusted Communications Network Act is, and and why do we have it? Well, it's it's actually a much broader act than people think. It's to get to be able to take care of technology that gets into the communications networks, which later the government decides is not secure, should not be part of the network. So it could be video equipment, it can be communications equipment or technologies, um, and so it's an overreaching. Um, over overly con- inclusive um, piece of legislation to handle these kinds of problems that could cause risk to the networks. Um, in particular, and where we've been focused is on two companies, Huawei and ZTE, who have been named by the Federal Communications Commission as covered entities. And so the program that the FCC has put into place that everyone is focused on is their reimbursement program to remove Huawei and ZTE equipment and services from the communications networks in the U.S. because they were determined to be um, unsecure and um, possibly even could be weaponized to harm um, interests in the U.S. So uh, the, the, the amount of money, the appropriations is sort of a nice segue into, into the area I wanted to focus on with, with you two today. So, and maybe John, I'll direct this question to you and then Carrie, obviously jump in and add any uh, additional thoughts, please. But as I understand it, there was $1.9 billion that was appropriated by Congress to pay for the rip and replace of this non-compliant equipment. But then after uh, you know, estimates and submissions were, were submitted to, uh, to the FCC by all of the impacted operators, the number I think was closer to $5.6 billion. So quite a large chasm uh, between those, those two numbers. So, so John, I guess for, for you, I mean, any thoughts on why you think there's such that we have this this wide wide gap. I mean, that's pretty pretty significant. It is a pretty pretty big gap, uh, pretty big jump. Um, 
that uh, there's several reasons that that contributed to to the difference. One was just the the factor of the amount of time between the original estimates and when the final estimates were submitted. I think it was almost two years ago that we were initially asked to submit and just asked to submit in a relatively short order. You know what we thought it was going to. Uh, cost us. There were a, a number of factors that I don't think were considered. At least I can say that we didn't consider you know, the, the amount of work that was going to have to go into um, re- repairs or retrofitting of the towers to accommodate the additional loads. Um, plus, you've got you know the increase in cost in cost that comes up, comes with time. Um, you've got the supply chain issues that kind of impact that cost factor. A couple of other contributing factors. Um, we have workforce issues, as you know, a lot of the work, we, we don't have enough workforce to do all of this. So the um, cost of work, um, the workers has gone up quite a bit um, just because of demand. Um, the other thing is when the folks that were asked to put in the estimates, the jurisdiction that the FCC had to get companies to come forward and do this was under their universal service regime and their um, ability to regulate eligible telecommunications carriers. So those were the only ones that were required to put in the estimates. Um, others could voluntarily do it. And so what we saw is as a result of this that if you want money under the Secured Networks Act, you have to come forward and put it in an, in an application. More more companies came forward and put in those applications. So there were quite a few more than initially put in originally. So, so those are all the things that have contributed to that. In addition, um, we could talk a little bit about the cost catalog that the FCC had put together. Um, and the cost catalog has a range in it of low cost and high cost. And the FCC decided that it would take the average of those two costs and set that as a um, a default mechanism so that if you just come in and pick that one, you're in kind of in a safe harbor area where you don't have to provide additional support for what was selected. And so when you take the average of the high and the low, um, you may see some increased costs there. And I can say that, that definitely happened. I mean, in our case, um, you know, we, we, we deferred to the, the average because, um, you know, as the rules of the process were laid out, you know, we didn't have to submit a whole lot of additional justification for that um, there because it's a one-time, one-time submission. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, so we've got this gap, and as I understand it, it, it it's not as if Congress has approved the, the $5.6 billion, right? We're not there yet, are we, Carrie? The Secured um, and Trusted Networks Act was a, a piece of legislation that authorized this process. And then later, Congress had to come in behind it and appropriate the money to pay for it. And they only appropriated $1.9 billion. But they told the FCC, if you're, you get close to a billion, let us know and we can relook at it. We can always appropriate more money. And remember what I said in the beginning, this is a broader piece of legislation for future problems that, that might arise with other equipment vendors and technologies um, that they might have to get paid for to take out of networks or to fix later. So they'd always have to appropriate more money if something new was found to be amiss in the communications networks um, that needed to be rip, ripped out and replaced. So it's a piece of legislation or, or the act itself is ongoing and continuing, not just for Huawei and ZTE. Right now, we're only dealing, the $1.9 billion is only for Huawei and ZTE. So we don't have enough to even take care of Huawei and ZTE. So the FCC can 
go back to Congress and say, look, we need more money. The FCC has actually done that once they realized that there was a difference between the 1.9 and the 5.6. And they told Congress there's there's a gap. Congress has been asking the FCC lots of questions about the gap. Um, the FCC, in turn, has been going back to all of the applicants who submitted the costs and are asking them lots of questions about what they submitted. And on June 15th, that's the deadline, statutory deadline that the FCC has to come back and tell each of the applicants how much money they're actually going to be eligible for. So if it, for example, if an applicant asks for $100 million, the FCC can come back to them and say, look, we've looked at this very thoroughly. We think you're eligible for $95 million, not $100 million. And so they'll do that to all of the different applicants. And then they'll have a final number that everyone's eligible for. And if that amount is still over $1.9 billion, then it's up to Congress to appropriate more money to fund the difference. But in the meanwhile, the way the program works, the applicants will all get a pro rata share of the $1.9 billion. So they'll get a percentage of that $1.9 billion. Right now, that percentage, if it stays at $5.6 billion and there's a disconnect because you know, there's only $1.9 billion, each of the applicants will only get a, funded a third of what they requested, about 33%. Wow. So, geez. So, so John, if I were to put myself in, in your shoes, I mean, this really puts, I would think, operators like yourself that need to comply and I'm sure want to comply with the act in a tough spot. I mean, you, there's there's a lot of uncertainty here. Um, you've got to get a lot of work done. I think there's probably a good bit of risk to uh, communication services and markets where the wireless operator or the impacted operator is the only option for people in those markets. So it really feels like it puts you in a, in a tough spot. Am I thinking about that the right way? You hit it right on the head. The way the act reads, once we're given our final appropriation or our, our final allocation, you know, then we're expected to take our first draw within one year of that. And then we're expected to complete the work within one year of taking our first draw. So you can argue that you've got essentially 12, 24 months to, to do the work. But, you know, if you've only got enough money to do a third of the work, then, um, you know, it, it's not like I'm going to be able to keep two thirds of my, I've got a ZTE network, two thirds of those ZTE network up and running and put a third, you know, a new third network of, a, of another vendor in place. It just doesn't work that way. You know, so I'm faced with some pretty hard choices at that point. Do I turn down two thirds of my network? That's a step backwards in time in terms of you know what you were referring to earlier about people need the coverage. They need the broadband services that were provided, whether it's wireless or wireline. If the system works out such that you know, the, the networks get smaller instead of getting bigger, well, well that's 100% counter to the, you know, the, the broader policy objectives of better broadband to everybody everywhere. Yeah. And, and when I think about, you know, just thinking back what we went through with COVID and how it exposed those living in rural America who didn't have access to reliable broadband. I mean, it just exposed their ability to learn, exposed their ability to work. And it almost feels like, you know, if COVID part two is the right way to think about it. But I mean, look, if if people can't get access to the Internet or to to broadband networks because companies like yourself are stuck in this holding pattern, I mean, it really puts your customers and, and those living in rural America in a brutal spot, potentially. No, it does. In fact, we've already experienced that in, in, in the surge in demand of, you know, from the uh, pandemic when it kicked off in, in 2020. 
I had a significant amount of, of demand for our services that I was unable to meet because the ZTE network that I have is pretty much overtaxed. I don't have any support from ZTE. I was unable to buy any additional components to increase the capacity on the network. And so, yeah, there, there were, I don't know, six or 700 customers in about a 90 day window that, you know, that needed to be able to, you know, remotely access either work or school that, you know, that had come to me to ask for that. And I couldn't deliver it to them. I don't, honestly, I don't know how they got it because I guess they either rely, continue to rely on dial up or, you know, one of the dial-in Wi-Fi you know, hotspots that people threw up in different places. But yeah, it, it, it had a real world effect on, on people. And I, I think you alluded to this. I think ZTE has left the market from a support standpoint. And I, if I've got it correct, I think Huawei is, is going to exit the market sometime this year. I mean, so, I mean, how in the world do you run a network with your network suppliers no longer available from a software perspective, from a parts perspective. I mean, how, how is that even possible? We're living on borrowed time. That's literally the truth. I mean, one particular component of the network, was called the IMS, IP Multimedia Subsystem. It's the system that makes the voice over LTE work. You know, I was unable to complete that in my initial installation because of ZTE's departure. You know, as we approach sunset of the 3G networks, I'm very anxious to to get this replacement started so that my network doesn't become obsoleted you know, because of the technology transition. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got limited resources, right? And smaller operators you know, can feel that pain maybe more so than larger operators. But I would think, too, that you know, this, this could also impact how quickly, and maybe you kind of mentioned this in a roundabout way, but how quickly you could deploy 5G so that other customers, so your customers could enjoy, you know, higher day speed connections. True. Um, you know, and, until we get the foundation replaced, we can't, you know, we can't make that next step. And to be clear, the funding isn't available for 5G services. It, it can be 5G ready, but not a 5G service. But as we keep marching on, one of the things Congress should probably look at as well is, with all of this funding, why not just add a, t- a tiny bit more in there and make it 5G too? Um, I mean, it's not gonna—it's not a big jump for them to get to 5G on these 4G networks, and they're already doing all a lot of new stuff, and it's a rip—you know—it's a rip out and replace. So conceivably, as Congress looks at doing this funding, one of the things Congress could look at as well is just going ahead and making it for 4G and 5G. Just just a thought that that if if anyone from Congress is listening. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that certainly would make things, you know, run a lot smoother and, you know, make it a little bit easier for, for John and his, his, um, you know, counterparts in other markets. They've had to jump through hoops to deal with this. And then if they've got to then sort of have a parallel track of, well, we're going to replace our 4G network, but then we've got to think about building 5G on top of it. That, that seems kind of cumbersome too, right? But the other thing I was going to add is, is, while John's customers in, in his rural markets are going to suffer, so will the customers of you know Verizon and others who have to use those networks to roam for their own customers. Um, so it's not just hurting you know a small group of customers in rural Alabama. It's hurting anyone that's a big carrier customer traveling through rural Alabama that is reliant on that network as well. So. It's as far more, much more far-reaching. And if John has to turn down or Pine Belt has to turn down coverage, there's no coverage. Then there's no nine one one support services either. So the last time I looked, 
there for, for every customer of mine that was on my network, there were 10 visitors in my network. And, uh, that, that ratio is a little bit uh, dated. It was a couple of years ago before I, you know, when I, last time I pulled that stat, but yeah, you know, my, my network is, you know, serves 10 visitors to one home customer. So, Carrie, I mean, th- this is really our only option, right, through Congress. It's not like there's the FCC can take money out of a, I don't know, a uh, spectrum auction or something like that to put to help this situation out, right? This really has to go through Congress. Right. And with a spectrum auction, co- Congress could actually earmark funds from a spectrum auction for something like this or, you know, for a future from a future spectrum auction. So that's the way some, sometimes Congress funds things, but the FCC doesn't have any way to fund this. It's totally dependent on Congress to fund it, and they, it has no power to come up with the funding um, to do anything like this, um, just outside of its um, bailiwick, so to speak. So, but there are lots of ways Congress could look at funding that you know get. Well, I shouldn't say it, appropriating money to do this. And um, there's some legislation that's moving forward. Um, the America Competes Act and a bunch of other bills associated with that for competing against China. And given that this is Huawei and ZTE and the U.S. is trying to compete against China in this market and other markets, um, that it, it makes sense to try to throw in some um, money to be appropriated through that legislation or some emergency legislation could appropriate the money. But the important thing is for from you know RWA's members and, and John being one of them um, is we've got about 25% of our members who are impacted by this. Um, it came about because the FCC decided to do a reverse auction to you know, spend $300 million in the mobility fund phase one auction to deploy 3G and 4G services in rural America. And it was a race to the bottom. The Chinese came in through Huawei and ZTE and heavily subsidized those companies to be able to price the other companies out of the market. And so that's what you get when you have a reverse auction. You're always going to have kind of a race to the bottom with subsidized equipment from China that turns out later we find out to have problems and be insecure and harmful to our networks. That's, a, I think, a really important point to make. So if I were to take a step back, it, it feels like to me what John and, and your impacted members and everyone who's impacted um, need right now is certainty, right? They need to know um, how much money they're going to get and when they're going to get, how it's going to be deployed so that they can go about and do the things that they need to do to be in compliance with the act at the same time, not disrupting service to their customers. Is that sort of a, I think an important takeaway here? Absolutely. I mean, I was not even just how much money we get. It's like, how, how, and when are we going to get the, the amount that we actually need to do the job to complete the job? I compare it to like, you know, crossing a stream, you can't get halfway into the stream and then have no way to get to the other side. And then you can't go back once you're halfway there. I mean, it's, it doesn't work that way. So you can't be stuck in the middle of the stream with no path forward. Um, and Congress has to give that certainty by, by saying, yes, we're going to appropriate the money and this is how much money we're going to appropriate. And they can say, trust us. But I think everyone feel much more better, much better when the president actually signs um, the legislation that appropriates the money. Any uh, any other kind of closing thoughts or things that uh, we didn't cover uh, to either you know John or, or Carrie that you think is important that we touch on? I'll just kind of try to reiterate. You know, this is a national security issue, um, and with everything that's going on in the world, there's you know the, the fact that it's a national security issue should make it an even more 
urgent matter in terms of you know getting it appropriated so that we can proceed with it because because it's been it's been in the public eye for four years now. It's you know it started in April of 2018 when the FCC issued its first NPRM, and um, you know it's, it's dragged out since you know from that point. It's not just an issue that impacts from a security standpoint that impacts the companies that built Huawei and ZTE networks, all of those networks, the Huawei and ZTE networks that were built here in the U.S. are all interconnected with all of the other communications networks in the U.S. and even beyond. So that's that's what's really important. So what, what happens on a ZTE network or a Huawei network in the U.S., those networks being interconnected with other networks, if there is an, I mean, something that's unsecure or something that's able to be weaponized through those networks impacts more than just the, the networks, impacts things that are attached to the network. So when you start thinking about devices that are attached to the network um, and how the networks are interconnected, all these networks are interconnected with one another, um, it should be raising a lot of red flags for Congress. Um, and it's not it's not like Congress didn't see this coming. I think initially when we, we discussed this with Congress, we threw out numbers of anywhere from two billion to three billion dollars and they settled on 1.9 to start and they made it very clear that that was to start. Um, and here we are. We've started. We're in the middle of the stream. Help us out. <laughs> get, get us to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope for the sake of all the impacted operators and for the sake of national security, Congress does the right thing and appropriates the necessary funds so that we can get this thing resolved. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Carrie and John, uh, super uh, insightful thoughts here and uh, certainly appreciate your time. So thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. A special thanks goes out to Carrie and John for taking time out of their busy schedules to chat about this very important topic. After talking to John, I can't imagine how difficult and stressful it must be for he and others like him to be stuck in this holding pattern. They're waiting for Congress to appropriate more money so they can move forward with their respective rip and replace programs, while at the same time they are losing support for the equipment that is still running their networks. I think the important message here is that impacted operators, many of which are small and have limited resources, desperately need certainty and they need it fast. Certainty on how much more money will be appropriated and when it will be made available so they can ensure that their customers continue to have access to critical communication networks. Hey, thanks for joining us today and watch out for the next episode of the All Day Digital Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to be investment, tax, or legal advice and should not be relied upon by listeners for such purposes. The information contained in this podcast has been compiled from what CoBank regards as reliable sources. However, CoBank does not make any representation or warranty regarding the content and disclaims any responsibility for the information materials, third-party opinions, and data included in this podcast. In no event will CoBank be liable for any decision made or actions taken by any person or persons relying on the information contained in this podcast.